Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, really a Wednesday on a Tuesday, at least according to the USC practice schedule, because, of course, USC plays this Friday night in Washington State, so they're moving up practice one day earlier. The entire schedule. Today we're going to talk with Dan Weber about USC and Cal, USC and Washington State. Oh, and there was some news breaking this morning about the USC basketball program and assistant coach Tony Bland. We uh, heard officially from Kerry Angeline for the first time. So we've got a lot of stuff to get to that we weren't necessarily planning on getting to. But if you have any questions or comments, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com or call us at 424 424- Two five four nine one four one. You can call us or text us on that number, and make sure all questions go to podcast at uscfootball.com. If you send them to me or Dan or anybody specifically, they're not going to get filed into our little bin where we put all of the podcast questions. So make sure you send your podcast questions there. Specify who you want them to be and keep them short, keep them concise, and we will read them on the air. You can uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Inside Troy. Uh, the show, you can follow at the Peristyle. That's our uscfootball.com Twitter page. And you can subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com slash Peristyle podcast. Please subscribe. Please leave a five-star rating. We appreciate all that. And let's jump in right in with Dan Weber. Hey, Dan, what's going on? Hey. Laugh it up, Dan. It's so hard to know. You're spinning around it. You're looking back at the Cal game where everybody's got questions. You're looking ahead at Washington State in this, you know, abbreviated week. And then you, you get hit with the uh, the basketball stuff, and you think, man, what direction do we turn in? Which way to look? <laughs> it's a little, yeah, it's a little crazy. We have a ton to get to. People have sent in questions mostly about, obviously, the Cal game and all of that. But uh, if you didn't see this morning, we have a story up on uscfootball.com. Uh, big FBI investigation into college basketball. Uh, four assistant coaches were arrested. USC assistant Tony Bland was one of them. Um, we don't know what all is going to mean. Most people feel this is a tip of an iceberg sort of thing. The AAU agent runners, people getting paid. Louisville looks like they're going to get slammed pretty hard. Uh, we don't really know what all of this means yet, but we keep updating the story. USC has now officially put him... On administrative leave, so Tony Bland, uh, not with, uh, the coaching staff as of right now. Obviously he's arrested, so that would be hard to, uh, be coaching while you're doing that. Um, we don't know what it's going to mean. USC's poised to have a really good year in basketball. It's just one of those things, Dan, USC basketball, it's like, you can't have nice things. No matter what happens, it looks like it's going to be good and something bad always <laughs> happens to the basketball program, it seems. Yeah, there's uh there's some sort of curse going on. Uh, I don't know what USC ever did to deserve uh the you know, the curse that, that the basketball program's operate operating under, but uh uh what else could it be? I mean really. Uh it's like uh is there some USC basketball doll that somebody's uh poking uh you know, needles into, you know, as soon as you 
you get it to the point where you think, man, we're finally, they're getting over the hump. This is it. <laughs> and then wacko. Uh, I don't know. It, it is a puzzling. There are so no, there's no answers. I mean, how does a coach like, you know, Tony Bland on the head coaching, you know, glide pass, you know, moving there with what could have happened this year with USC basketball. Here's a guy that's really in line for, you know, a head coaching job. And, and, and then you see the, the amount of money involved and you think, what the heck was the FBI? There weren't more important things for the FBI do, to do than to find out who at schools are, you know, steering players to certain agents. I mean, how do they think agents get players? And, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, uh, unseemly, uh, the way some of this happens in college basketball. But I mean, it's like, did anybody not know that? I mean, that, you know, kids play for some, you know, for AAU teams sponsored by shoe companies whose, you know, dads coach the top prospects and they think, gee, I wonder if something's going on here. Well, yeah, duh. And, and so, uh, I don't know where, you know, I don't know where this goes. I don't know, I truly don't know why the FBI is getting involved in, and how many people, how much money did that cost the FBI to have, you know, undercover agents involved in, uh, you know, money that was headed for, you know, players' families and all that. That's amazing, uh, that, that the FBI decided this, you know, uh, it, be, it was way before my time. But if you grew up in Kentucky, you remember the point-shaving scandal where the uh, New York district attorney got involved in it and all the big doubleheader basketball games were, playing, were being played at Madison Square Gardens. They found, uh, you know, these big college uh, you know, teams would come in there and players would shave points and the bookies would, you know, pay them off. Uh, and... Uh, a lot of teams got caught in that. Kentucky certainly did. Cost them a couple of national championships. Uh, I could see that a little bit more. I mean, that was, you know, as much as the, the federal government, you don't know why they were involved in, uh, in making sure the, you know, the betting, uh, was, was done in a fair way. But I could see them getting involved in that and in the point shaving scandals, which were the original big, big scandal in college basketball. I really don't get this one. I don't quite get what the harm uh, to society is, you know, in this in this situation. I mean, if they stop them doing it this way, they'll still do it another way to get players to agents. They will. I mean, it's just, you know, there were agents involved in the Reggie Bush case. As long as there are agents and they can make money off players, people will be trying to figure out how to get you know, get those players to those agents. I'm not saying that's right. It's not. But is it one of the real bad, you know, is it one of the, the things in society that we probably need to be having the FBI go after right now? That's, uh, I'm not sure. I don't, I, I, quite, I don't quite get that. Yeah, crazy stuff. Um, like I said, tip of the iceberg. Um, this could just, you know, shake up the entire college basketball landscape. So we'll see, but it was all kind of breaking this morning. You wake up to that, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, and USC is involved, so that's uh... – <laughs> well, And the thing that bugged 
everybody in Kentucky was. The uh, <laughs> I would say, you know, from uh, growing up, you know, as a Catholic kid and all that, but the uh, uh, Cardinal of New York got involved and made sure they didn't go after uh, St. John's, for example, because that would have looked bad for the Archdiocese of New York. But, uh, but they went after Kentucky. And you don't want to see a case where, oh, they just single out certain teams or certain programs, and they stay away from other teams and other programs. I would hate to see that uh, be the case. And if it's something that's, say, widespread throughout college basketball, and they said, what did they, there were 10 programs involved. Uh, interestingly enough, of the four assistants or schools with assistant coaches involved, two of them were from the Pac-12. Huh, how about that? You know, uh, it's just, you know, I, I, there are a lot of questions. We'll see what, what the answers are, but, man, there are a lot of questions. There are. Um, and uh, before we jump in, I wanted to thank our sponsor, for the show, Trader Joe's been great to us. I actually played in a golf tournament over the weekend, a charity golf tournament, and uh, talked to the guys at Trader Joe's, and they provided uh, one of the cool raffle prizes with some stuff from Trader Joe's and a hundred dollar gift card stuff. So they have been uh, very cool um, to us, and I uh, hope you guys can uh, check out Trader Joe's. I go there all the time, which is great. They've been in business uh, here in Southern California and across the country for fifty years. Um, it's great stuff. Uh, so especially if you want to do some tailgating, uh, the one over at the University Village is awesome. Uh, lots of great, good stuff in there. Uh, wines, cheeses, and things like that for your tailgating spread. If you want to get other snacks, chips, and things like that, of course, they have that too. Uh, but I love the beer and wine selection. Uh, great stuff. Um, they have excellent values on like palate-selected wines, Dan, from around the world. So you can check that kind of stuff out. If that's the kind of tailgate you want to have, or if you're just more into like a six-pack and uh, – and chips, you can get that kind of stuff there too. But they have regular stuff there. Um, if you want, you know, like eggs, milk, butter, uh, lots of great stuff at Trader Joe's. A lot of unique stuff. They go through this uh, rigorous process before any kind of food gets in there. We got a, a firsthand account of that from uh, from our buddy John, who was talking about it. So uh, hopefully you guys can check out Trader Joe's. They've been really great to us, and uh, we love using them. And hopefully you guys will will check them out too. Um, Hey, so Dan, I guess we should probably jump into some of the football stuff. Um, there's, uh, some breaking news with the, the Carrie Angeline stuff that I, you know, Keely kind of noticed from the release notes that were released on Sunday, uh, about Carrie Angeline. We have a question for you and then we'll kind of get your answer, uh, and talk about this situation. So here's the question about Carrie Angeline. Hey, Ryan, Chris from Delaware, your absolute biggest fan. Uh, please excuse my, my mood. I'm just not feeling great. Um, a couple years ago, we had a coach that was inebriated on the sidelines. I, I didn't think it could get any worse. Then we had a coach that was so arrogant, so disliked, we left him at the airport. I didn't think it could get any worse. Last night, it officially got worse. Last night is the only night in my life that I'm embarrassed to be a USC fan. Carrie Angeline is no longer with the team. Period. That was, that was the story. That was the end of the story. That's all me, you, and anybody else needed to know. Is that the 19-year-old is no longer with the team. And the team is no longer with the 19-year-old. 
But the coach decides to put quit. He quits. He's a quitter. Whole world, his parents, his family, his friends, prospective colleges, prospective coaches. You need to know he quit. No, we didn't need to know that. He's a 19-year-old kid. Like any business arrangement, you shake hands and you say, hey, I don't know why. I'm sorry, it just cut out there, so that was all I had. Yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely right. Don't say that I don't. Don't say that the coaches put quit in there. I don't know if they even read the notes, much less write them. Uh, they're not responsible for uh, uh, listing roster changes. I thought it was uh, amazingly uh, callous, probably stupid. Uh, I think you have to at least put out, you know. The small announcement, whatever, has left the team. Uh, now, we'll say this, talking to both Clay and, and uh, his position coach, John Baxter, I mean, you got nothing but, you know, we love the kid. We want him to be successful. What a great student. Uh, wish he would have, uh, uh, you know, wish that wasn't his decision, wish it isn't his decision now. Uh, you know, uh uh, they didn't. There wasn't a, 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 even a remotely bad word said about Kerry Angeline at practice Monday. Uh, so, the, you know, I would recommend, and not that they can do it on all the the media notes that are printed up for this week and the roster stuff and all that. I would recommend to whoever decided to put just the one word "quit" after Kerry Angeline's name and roster changes, change that. Uh, going forward, that's really a bad idea, and it, it should not have been presented like that, and, and you're absolutely right. But I wouldn't necessarily pin that on the coaches. Yeah, I don't think that was a coach's thing. And just so people know, um, Carrie Angeline did tweet out a statement, I guess you could say this morning, from his Twitter account. Uh, he wanted to thank Coach Helton and USC for the opportunity to be a Trojan. I wish them nothing but the best. Please respect me and my family's decision while I continue to work towards my goals and we put up uh, a thread with from what some of the sources that we talked to were saying about Carrie Angeline we'll probably have more in the war room and stuff too um, so check that out on uscfootball.com for subscribers uh, but that's probably all we're going to share <laughs> uh, here but it's uh, it's interesting yeah I didn't like that they put quit too I wouldn't go to that far as outrage where you're embarrassed to be I mean that's just a misfortunate you know unfortunate thing that happened um, I don't I wouldn't uh, say that that was like the worst thing ever as far as USC football goes. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a shame. I mean, it, 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 you wish it wouldn't have happened. Uh, you know, it's tough when you recruit kids from across the country uh, and then they don't get to play and they look at the possibility of, of playing time even, you know, less going forward. Uh, how exactly that happened on a team that needed receivers, needed big possession, physical receivers, and he seemed to get lost in the shuffle. Uh, I think they, they screwed up somehow. So, you know, somebody at USC, he should not be uh, separated from the program. I mean, they kept saying, man, after three games, which means he obviously quit after the Texas game where he, he didn't get to play. Yeah. And didn't understand, why didn't I play? And, you know, the opportunity is there and, and that they weren't able to be creative enough to take advantage 
of the, I mean, I, you know, in my estimation, I think only Deontay Burnett catches the ball better than he does. Maybe we'll see Tyler Vaughn also get to that place. But uh, in terms of just pure ability to catch a football, uh, they almost no one on that on that USC team has that ability. And the kid's you know six eight now, uh, and you know if if he's not going to be blocking like a tackle, uh, maybe you walk him out. You do some things with him, but to to act like there was nothing he could do to help the program, say in the Texas game, uh, I mean. In the Texas game, you had a pretty good example looking at Texas of what you could do with tall receivers. Uh, that USC couldn't figure that out is probably on USC and that they didn't seem in, in Kerry's mind to have a place for him going forward uh, with, maybe, you know, considering the return of Daniel Baby and, and the recruiting for next year and the two true freshmen who were playing more this year. Uh, you know, what else was was Kerry going to do, you know, do, but he loved being at USC. He really liked uh, being here, handled the uh, red shirt year really well, you know, last year. And I thought he was a real asset in his family. I thought they were, that was a real plus for USC. And I think it's a negative uh, uh, to lose him. And whatever happened, uh, it didn't, it didn't go down the way it should have. And then to add the insult to injury with the quit, uh, that, they need to revisit uh, some of this. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, he should. I felt he should have been playing. Um, so yes, there's something. Something what isn't quite right here. Mike in the Bay Area texted us too. He said, "Question for Dance." This was a text message question. With Carrie Angeline leaving the team, is there any concern for other players who were disgruntled, especially on defense, looking to leave for lack of playing time? Thanks for all the content and hard work you put into the site. As always, fight on, Mike in the Bay Area. Yeah, I think that's always going to be the case uh, uh, at good programs. I mean, you know, it's not, oh, it's just USC. I mean, Alabama has it. I mean, they had a kid last year. I don't know what he had to do. He wanted to transfer to Georgia, a defensive starting, you know, or semi-starting defensive back. And there was all kinds of upset between Alabama and Georgia. And, you know, it happens. It's going to happen. You just want to, you know, not have it end up, where everybody is saying, wow, I wish he'd have made a different decision. Well, you know, what was your role in helping him make a different decision? You know, I, you don't want to go away from these things saying, gosh, I wish he'd have, he'd have not done that. Well, you know, that's where you, there's got to be that kind of communication and that kind of, uh, you know, understanding with the kid. Uh, yes, it's, I think, the ones that are most at risk are the kids from the East Coast. There's no question about that. If you're out here and you're not playing, you know your family and people say, well, you could play. Well, you were really good here. You, you've got a lot of ability. If you're not getting a chance there, why not come you know, closer to home? I mean, it, it happens all the time, and it makes absolute sense. And so, yeah, I think there are those, uh, you know, potential uh you know players and, and there's no question it's always going to be an issue with if you recruit nationally and you've got uh, a lot of talent on your team you're going to have those kids that maybe are you know from somewhere uh across the country and maybe aren't playing a lot that would be the you know the first place you look at all right uh andrew west la had the same kind of thing fill us in on the tony bland uh situation so hopefully 
Uh, we did that to your satisfaction. Thanks for sending that in. Um, we got some Sam Darnold questions. Uh, let's, let's start with Danny G. Looking back, how do you believe the Manning football camp and Nike event and additional media responsibility impacted the development of Sam Darnold and his wide receiver chemistry? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, did he not? I mean, they purposely set it up. There were only, uh, there was only, uh, one, uh, uh, player run practice a week, uh, not the two. And I think Sam missed two of those for, um, for his camp responsibilities. So there wasn't as much opportunity, uh, I, you know, and I know they can do it on their own time and they did do it on their own time. But I think that might be a factor. I don't think there's any question that uh, that there might not have been the same chemistry that maybe Sam had built up, uh, you know, after a couple of years. Here, face it, he had a couple of years with four receivers: uh, Juju, uh, Darius, uh, DeQuan Hampton, and and uh, and, and Isaac. So uh, he had, you know, four older guys who he'd thrown the ball to a lot over two years. And now he's got younger guys, and he hasn't thrown the ball to them as much. So I don't think there's any question that probably is a factor. Yeah, and and those extra responsibilities did, you know, take Sam away, uh, you know, from uh, USC for a decent amount of time this summer. That's a that's a good possibility. And as you say, other media responsibilities. He did more interviews, I think, than any college football player in the last few years. I think in the off season, uh, you know, I mean that. That Rose Bowl, it just, you know, resonated with people. Everybody wanted to talk about it. And, um, and then, you know, heck, he's doing a podcast right now, you know, a weekly podcast, the season of Sam. Uh, he's got a lot of things that are maybe pulling him away from the, you know, the basics of, of throwing the football to guys on his team. And, uh, I think they might want to look back at, at some of that and say, hmm. Was that the absolute best way to go? You don't always know when that's happening, uh, but you can take a look back and say, maybe, uh, maybe that's a factor. That was, that's a good, good observation. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, Hugh in West Covina, um, he'd like to ask you about your comment from instant analysis. So from, this was Monday's practice. So like I said, at the top of the show, they moved up practice a day. So Monday was like the Tuesday practice and then Tuesday will be today will be like the Wednesday practice um, about Sam Darnold being able to audible. Do you think it would have been better to have him play under center and control the offense with the possibility of a keeper and get the first down? That's from Hugo. Yeah, absolutely. I think in that situation, I think you're far better off with, uh, uh, you know, with Sam going under center. I don't think there's any question. Uh, it was pretty obvious. uh where that play had to go and, uh, it was going to get there much slower than it was, it would have if Sam is under center with the, you know, you got a six foot four, 220 pound guy who's got a chance to just, you know, see where the, where the seam is, where the crease is and doesn't give the defense, it doesn't give a downs, you know, who's playing on both edges, doesn't give him a chance to run the play down or, or uh, you know, I mean, I just, when he watched it, watch it again, uh, you had Stephen Carr running the ball a couple of times down at the goal. And I, as I was in, he ran it right and downs hits him without getting blocked by anybody. And then he goes left 
I don't know if he was supposed to go left. He ended up having to go left. Uh, and there's Downs again getting a shot at him with nobody touching Downs. You know, you know the two-time Pac-12 player, defensive player of the week is taking a you know 245-pound guy getting a running you know start at USC's tailback. Uh, they got to do better than that. Now, that's just not. I mean, uh, Stephen Carr did a fabulous job scoring. Uh, you know, from the one yard line or two yard line, I guess, on that play. But uh, that shouldn't happen. You shouldn't be giving defensive guys, uh, you know, wide open, untouched running shots at your running backs in that situation. You have to get uh, blockers ahead of them. And uh, you know, if 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 one way to you know make it not so obvious what you're going to do is to put Sam under center, then you do that. And uh, you know, and if Sam goes to the line of scrimmage, and whatever he's got called, uh, it's so obvious that they're loaded up, you know, against it, that they've got you outnumbered at the point of attack, you, you know, you've got a much better chance, I think, to change the play or just run the sneak. And uh, uh, so I don't disagree with you at all. Kind of along the same lines, Chris, Chris and Rancho Cucamonga, um, why doesn't Sam uh, want them to run the ball as much this season? I understand he's a mobile quarterback, not dual threat. However, there's certainly been opportunities for him to keep the ball and gain positive yardage or in certain cases stroll right into the end zone. Is this play calling coaching? Is it a play calling or coaching issue? Is the coaching staff trying to protect them from getting hurt? Or is Sam just more hesitant to take off? This was an integral part of the offense and certainly keeps the defense honest. Appreciate your thoughts and insights from Chris. Yeah. I just don't think we know. Uh, I mean, they, they obviously know they don't really have, you know, last year they go into the season, they got Max Brown, but you, you knew you had Sam Darnold, you know, behind him this year. I don't think they feel like they'd be very comfortable uh, with Sam out of the game. Uh, so is that, you know, one of those communications issues where both the coaches and Sam realize that and, and, you know, don't want to take any of those chances. I don't think he doesn't look like he's running quite as well as last year. He just, he, I mean, last year he had the ability, it looked like, to accelerate a little more quickly and, and, and break contain and make that decision and get those yards. It doesn't look like he, he, he feels like he has the same escapability this year, uh, in the pocket. And it doesn't, it, it feels like he'd much rather throw the ball. Uh, when last year, I think there was a, a question. If you were on defense, you didn't know if he was going to run it or throw it when he got to that, that position. This year, I think they're pretty sure he's not going to run it. Uh, which makes the throw a little more difficult because, you know, if you've got a choice, if you're a DB or an outside linebacker, you've got a choice. Which way am I going? You tend to drop off now which is one of the reasons you see some fairly big, uh, you know, open areas for Sam to run in because they have dropped off because they've decided he's going to throw it, not run it. Uh, he probably does need to run it more. Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I'm not sure when I look at Sam now. He doesn't quite look like the same guy physically. He just, you know, is it just, a little thing? Is it a psychological thing? Is it just the way people are playing him? Uh, and he's thinking too much. Uh, you know, is he trying too hard to throw the ball down the field? Uh, it's, it's not an easy thing, you know, to, to, to tell you exactly 
what is going on here. You talk to the coaches. I don't get clear answers as to what exactly is going on. When we talk to him about his ability at Audible, and it seemed like last year he had more ability to do that. They say, no, he's got just as much ability, but he's audibling what, they, what they're what they asking him to do. It sounds like is go to the RPOs, the run-pass option audibles, uh, if the play looks like it's, it's the wrong play. The problem is, the closer you get to the goal line, you can't do that. You can't audible to a run-pass option. You're stuck with the play they call, the, the real short yardage situations anywhere, really. Uh, you're uh, you're not going to go to a run-pass option, I don't think. Uh, so has that cut down on his ability uh, to audible? Maybe a little bit. Maybe that, you know, for them to say, you know, the audible essentially is going to be the RPO call. Uh, that may hamstring him a little bit in, in certain places. But uh, it's an issue, and it's something uh, I don't think we've gotten a clear picture of what what exactly it is, why it is the way it is, and what they're going to do about it. But they need to, I think they need to figure it out. And they know it. They're, it's, when you talk to them, the coaches, they're kind of on the defensive about it. They know some of this hasn't been going well, and uh, they gotta they got to come up with better answers. But we'll see. Maybe uh, maybe by Friday. Maybe the, the compact schedule this week will, will, will focus them uh, on figuring this out, uh, uh, which they certainly have to do. We got some questions about uh, opponents stacking the box. We kind of talked about this a little bit, but here's a voicemail. You can discuss it a little more. Here you go. J.D. from D.C. with this week's question for Dan. Defensively, it's pretty obvious what UFC is going to see for the rest of the season here. Uh, the only team that didn't stack the box against us was Stanford, and everybody can see what the results were. Um, that ain't happening again. Uh, the other thing is we're just not getting separation from our receivers. Sam is not finding a lot of open receivers. Now, they're Various explanations for that that anybody can invoke, but the question is, what's the solution? And when you have Stephen Carr, arguably your second or third best wide receiver on the bench for at least half of your offensive plays, I do not understand why we're not going to more of a two-back set situation, not so much to improve the running game, but to make sure Sam has got his best receivers out there uh, so that we can make something happen on offense. Yeah, uh, J.D., uh, I think there's no question uh, how much they miss uh, Daniel Mater Baby. I don't uh, without even, you know, they, they miss him as much as you can miss anybody. So that's one, one aspect of it. I think uh, not having Michael Pittman on the field to start the season uh, gave him another, uh, you know, shot in the gut uh, because he was a big uh, possession guy who had played as a freshman. So you take those two things. Uh, and then, uh, is it the patterns? Is it, you know, teams are guessing and, and they're either bringing everybody or dropping everybody back and they're kind of out guessing USC in, in some ways. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing stuff that in some ways you'd say, man, that's crazy. You know, man, they're taking some chances and they are. I mean, uh, Texas and Cal, they took chances and everybody that watches that. The, you know, that video, those 
you know, both of those games are going to say, well, what the hell, we might as well just take chances too and see if USC doesn't adjust, see if USC doesn't figure out how to get the ball to somebody else besides uh, Deontay Burnett and just pound him when he gets it and uh, and see if USC, uh, you know, runs when we've got the box loaded. If, if USC keeps running when we've got the box loaded, if you're a defensive coach against USC, you say, hey, that's great. We'll just, we'll just you know, just keep mixing it up, but we'll load it up uh, when we do. And if they, they stay in the play, uh, too bad for them. And that's happened a lot where they're basically outnumbering. I mean, you can't even always – uh, maybe grade some of the USC offensive linemen because they're so outnumbered on some of these plays. And, uh, and, and so USC's got to figure it out. I mean, if teams are willing to take the kind of chances teams are against USC, you should penalize them. You should hurt them. You should, you know, you've got to be able to go to something immediately that makes them pay for loading the box or makes them pay for Dropping, you know, eight guys deep or whatever they, whatever they do. Uh, the other thing is, and Sam said it yesterday, he said, I know this, they're going to come with energy. And, and Texas and Cal played with great energy on defense. And my take on that would be, well, why are they playing with more energy on defense and USC is playing with energy on offense? And does that come down to how you practice? You know, if you, if you, if you don't play, practice with a great deal of energy, are you going to be ready at the beginning of games to play with the kind of energy you need against teams that are energized? Those teams, you know, they're, they're taking it as a challenge to come after Sam Darnold, to come after USC. And, uh, USC has to take it as, as just a big, as big a challenge. And, and I'm not sure we saw that the last two weeks. We just didn't see it. How that plays out this week, you know, in a week where they, you know, they don't practice in pads and you got got a short week. I don't know. Um, it's a question I think USC has to resolve in terms of, uh, whenever we talk to a USC player that played for, you know, the, the glory years of the Pete Carroll era, they tell you that the number one thing that characterized that team was practices were harder than games. They competed, it weren't long practices, but they competed so hard with one another in practice that they were flat out so confident when they got into games that they were going to compete harder and uh, tougher and be more physical than the team they're playing. Uh, I'm not sure we see that anymore. I mean, I thought they, they, the, these kids, this team, in the summer, I thought they worked really hard. Uh, the conditioning and uh, weight and all the stuff that they did, I thought they did a great job of that, and they were very proud of themselves and how hard they were working, and I think correctly so. We don't hear that as much now uh, about how they're just totally convinced that they're going to outwork and out-tough and out-physical whoever they play, and I'd like to see that kind of reinstated. I don't want to see, you know, the other team is the team that's playing physical, and fired up, and USC's just trying to, you know, handle it. I think USC's got to go out and not, you know, not play to try to hold on to their unbeaten, you know, streak and their number five national ranking, but go out and try to take other teams out of the game. You know, it shouldn't be just them trying to take USC out. USC should be going out and trying to take them out. And this is the perfect time to do that, you know, Friday night in, uh, in you know, in uh, Pullman. 
Uh, yeah, before we jump in, we got still a bunch more questions. I want to talk to everybody about SeatGeek because there's some big USC games coming up and buying tickets to try to go to a USC game can be very complicated at times. There's a better, simpler way to buy using SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. And SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing the Trojans in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. So I have the SeatGeek app on my phone and just was checking for the Washington State game. So tickets started about 56 bucks. Um, actually it's, it's sold out. There's no standing room tickets, uh, available anymore, but you can still find them on SeatGeek. Like I said, starting at about $56. Um, it's designed to make the ticket buying experience easier than ever. It'll save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals and get you the most bang for your buck. It'll grade every ticket based on value. And then help you identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus every purchase, like we said, fully guaranteed. So you can shop for tickets at SeatGeek with confidence. So best of all, Peristyle Podcast listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app. Enter promo code USC today. That's promo code USC and you will get $20 off your first purchase. So cool stuff there. Um Let's see, uh, Dave and Glendora, we'll get back to the questions. Man, we still got a bunch of them. Sorry about this, but a lot of questions for you, Dan. Um, Dave and Glendora, his first one is, on offense, when USC comes up to the line of scrimmage and waits for the play to be called, they seem to have better results when they run the hurry up. Obviously, by doing this, uh, the SC coaches are getting more time to make the play call and are seeing potential defensive personnel in formation. Instead of running so much quick tempo offense, maybe they should do this more often what do you think Dan? well i mean the tempo got them going at cal and uh if you do it right if you run tempo and sam has the options i mean because teams are doing things usc hasn't seen and they're doing things that are you know a little crazy maybe and so you have to be ready to handle that even as you go tempo and so blending the two you know uh I mean, there's always the uh, the argument as to do you go out there and be yourself and just say here's here's who we are here's what we're going to do you see if you can stop us or are you a counter puncher do you go up and see what they're going to do and you got to do both because you know they can dictate things that they're going to you know line up load the box and just come after you with everybody you probably don't want to keep running it right at them uh, but maybe you know with with tempo. Uh, you can end up throwing the ball more, uh, you know, and the ability of Sam to get into the right play. I mean, last year it was always a case of they gave him two plays and he could go to the better one based on uh, what the defense was doing. You can still do that and go tempo, but that's a challenge. That's a challenge. So uh, it's what they're working out as the year goes on uh, now that they see you know, Stanford stayed in and did what Stanford does. And that, you know, maybe gave us, you know, false read on how the rest of the year was going to go because Texas didn't and, and Cal didn't. And one would think no one else will. So yeah. USC probably really has to be ready to, uh, uh, to handle that kind of stuff and yet not get out of its, its rhythm that works so well. And, Tempo works really well with Sam, and when USC gets going, and you know gets real, gets it going in tempo, uh, that was, you know, the secret of the 
the Rose Bowl. And that was a, that tempo was something that Penn State couldn't handle. And you want to see them be able to do that as much as possible. So we'll see. Yeah. His second question, uh, this is Dave and Glendora. Are there any stats of where USC has been ranked nationally with Baxter? He's talking about John Baxter as special teams coach. Even going back to his previous stint with USC, the special teams uh, units don't seem to be real special, with the exception of what Adoree Jackson accomplished and the progress of our current uh, place kicker. Just curious. Uh, thanks and beat the Cougars from Dave. Yeah, they were pretty decent, actually. Uh, uh, for example, I mean, they don't give up any punt return yards. Uh, last year certainly didn't. didn't. Uh, so they had a giant advantage in things like punt return. Uh, and Azori, as much as he did, you know, on offense, you know, with the ball, they, uh, they covered punts really well and they, you know, they, they kicked it a little shorter. But, uh, but this year, uh, they were number one in the, in net punting, uh, after the first couple of weeks. I'm not sure where that is right now. I haven't, haven't checked it this week. Uh, but it's kind of a mixed bag. Uh, some really good, good things and some, not very good things uh, with uh, with the special special teams. So, so some of them are uh, have been pretty special. And I mean, they haven't. I don't think they've blocked. They blocked the kick. I guess they haven't. No, they haven't. Uh, there were years. His first year, they were really really good at blocking kicks. So, uh, yeah, I'd say a mixed bag would be the way you would look at uh, at their special teams uh, statistically. And yeah. not the same places every year. Different places where they do better. I mean, who would have done, you know, who would have even begun to guess how they were going to do, you know, with the, with the place kicker? I mean, that's the, that's the remotest, uh, thing anybody would have guessed. I mean, he's just nailing. I mean, he kicked one yesterday. They're, they're down on the other field, so we don't get to see exactly where the yards are, but they're down on the artificial turf. And it looked like he was 50 yards easily, and he kicked it just way through. I mean, they, they only kicked one, and Clay was so excited. That was, you know, come on, let's, let's go to the next, uh, you know, the next uh, period. But uh, uh, what that kid has done, and, you know, if we're going to, you know, not give him credit for some things, you got to give him credit for, you know, hanging in there with, with Chase McGrath for picking him. I mean, I, I don't think it was that obvious that he was going to be the, the field goal kicker. And, uh, so you got to give him credit for those, those things. But, uh, but yeah, it's not across the board. <laughs> what it's, I would say, uh, Dan, I, there, there's stuff I wouldn't give him credit for. I mean, they haven't been close to blocking any kind of kicks. There's been a lot right. of penalties and mistakes, a lot of sloppy play, I would say on the special teams units and the, the stuff that as well seems to be individual plays where if it's like a chase McGrath and you're talking about two scholarship players on the bench, you know? So yeah, I if, think that's the biggest fail yeah. uh, the, the, that you don't have scholarships for, you know, one of the most effective punters in the nation who's a walk on, who's been here, you know, he's a senior can graduate. And you don't have a scholarship for him and you don't have a scholarship for the, uh, you know, your place kicker who everybody in the world now is saying, wow, look at that kid. Uh, and that the ones you did scholarship are not on the field. Yeah. Uh, that's, that may, you know, 
you're giving away a four-year scholarship because USC guarantees the scholarship. So uh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have two questions, one from Paul, one from Peter. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Wow. But I'll read you. <laughs> okay. um, or Peter and Paul, I guess we could say it that way. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Peter, but this is about um, third down and fourth down conversions. So Paul's about, he said there's been significant drop in the third down completion rate over the last three weeks. Um, he gives some reasons. He wants to know why, like with blocking, pass blocking, teams blitzing, say I'm not trusting the blocking or having happy feet or all of the above. So that's from Paul in Santa Clarita. And then Peter in San Francisco, an alarming stat about USC's fourth down efficiency. In the four games, USC is 0 for 5 when going for it on fourth down. And by contrast, USC's opponents are 6 for 10. Um, and his question for you is, what can USC do on offense to play better on fourth down? Um, and why does USC sometimes go for it on fourth down instead of punting uh, the other team deep into their own territory? Fight on Peter in San Francisco. He says, we have a great defense and we should be grateful they bailed us out against Texas and Cal. Well, I mean, I think, you know, the classic conundrum on, on the whole uh, fourth down situation is usually you're, you're around the 40-yard line between 35 and 40. And a pooch punt, uh, you may down it and, and down it deep, but chances are you're going to, you know, if you knock it into the end zone, you, you're gaining, you know, 10, 15 yards on the punt. And so you're going to try to keep the drive alive and, and with the chance if you get the fourth down, you, you, uh, you're in the red zone and you can, you know, score a touchdown. So, you know, you're kind of rolling the dice, uh, that they haven't figured out a way to, to get one. I mean, not one. I mean, just by dumb luck, you would, you would get one by a penalty. Maybe you'd get one. Uh, and, and, and it goes along with the, uh, uh, six of 18, I guess it was against Texas on third down, six of 15 Saturday. So 12 of 33 on third down conversions, which tells you you're doing a bad job on first and second down, especially first. If you, uh, if you're forced into third and long, which is what they're, you know, and this is a team that really prided itself on its third down conversions and did, you know, quite well the first two weeks. And then all of a sudden, the other team has many more answers than USC has. And, uh, uh, that's troubling. And they, you know, they got to figure that out. They absolutely have to, you know, be more efficient on offense. I mean, you know, as well as people say, well, they were up 30 to 13 Saturday and that was a good comeback and all that. They got outgained by a Cal team with a quarterback. I guess it was his fourth game of his career that he just, you know, he was trying as hard as he could, <clears throat> but he was running for his life and throwing the ball up for grabs. And they still, you know, was it 416 yards to 356 yards, something like that on offense. That should never happen in that game against Cal. I mean, that just shouldn't happen. Cal isn't good enough. You know, sure, they've been playing probably a little bit over their head with wins over North Carolina and Ole Miss, but um, that, that was – that was not uh, that was not a good job by the USC offense on almost any down, to be honest. Um, and uh, they've got to do they've got to be more efficient. Uh, they've got to do a better job in the red zone. They got to do a better job just when they cross the fifty. But it certainly it looks like their grab bag. And I use the term grab bag from when I was a high school coach, and, and 
you would there would be coaches who would just well let's pick this play well let's try that one well let's say oh there's another one over here let's grab that one then let's grab this one no you got to you know set things up you got to get a flow a rhythm uh a purpose as to why you're doing what you know this when you're doing it and how it sets up the next thing and the next thing and the kids get a sense of this is who we are this is how we win football games but if you just start pulling out plays um you know from here there and everywhere that's not the way to get it done i mean uh i'm glad i guess i'm glad we don't get to go watch practice on thursdays because if we'd had to watch that trick play that they unveiled for cal where they you know it looked it, it just it looked like the worst touch football game, uh, you know, throwing the ball back and forth to three or four guys and then throwing a, a you know, a seven yard sideways pass that basically was a, you know, uh, a glorified screen pass. That was, that might've been the worst trick play I think I've ever seen. And they really took time out to, to uh, practice that thing. Uh, that's why I guess, you know, better off we're not there on Thursdays because if I, if I would have seen them practicing that play, I would have thought that's a joke. They just put it in there to make <laughs> the kids laugh. They can't be serious. It actually worked and though, I, right? I mean, like it was like a terrible trick play that, that was fairly successful, but it was just like, it didn't even, you didn't I mean, feel it, good it about it. It was successful in terms of a regular play, but if you're going to put that time and energy and investment into all of those people handling the ball, all of those people throwing it around to get whatever that, you know, yardage was. It was, it was okay, but that's way too high a risk and way too much activity with the football for that kind of a possible gain. And they got more out of it probably than they should because of the, you know, the nice yards after the catch. But, uh, man, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's move on. We come got... up with some better answers. Yeah. We got so we got still got a bunch more, so we'll try to get through these. Okay. Um, Nick, uh, big Nick, he said, "Hello, Trojan fans. Question is, can you calm all the negative Nancys? USC is four and zero, and though it's not been pretty, they have won. Uh, what can you attribute that sucks? Okay, um, not sure what he means there, but Nick, yes, Nick wants to calm the negative Nancys down. I think the four and zero is great. Thirteen and zero is is unbelievable. Uh, you know that's." Uh, I think what you want to see, and, 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 you know, you can say, well, you know, last year spoiled everybody because that team got better. The question I asked Clay Sunday night, and I, I don't think he has to pick out individuals when he says this, mostly, but is this team getting better? Are they better now than, you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? I don't know. And I don't know if that's a good answer. If it's a, a fairly young team, or depending on, you know, fairly young guys and, uh, you know, people that haven't played all that much, they, sh- they ought to be getting better. And I'm not sure that they are. I mean, I think Texas felt like they really got better. They lost the game, but they got better a lot. Uh, Cal felt like they got better a lot. Uh, is USC getting better? I think that's the question USC has to answer. And you can say, well, they're getting more pressure on the quarterback and the, uh, you know, the defensive linemen are really disciplined in terms of getting their hands up and, and knocking balls down. And the secondary, you know, they, they got six turnovers, four interceptions. A lot of those were balls that, you know, that probably shouldn't have been thrown where they were. And you just had to make sure you were standing there to, you know, to intercept it. 
but still. Uh, but in general, I don't know that you look at this team and say it's absolutely getting better. Uh, I think, you know, the jury is still out. You know, it's only four games into the season, so there's plenty of time to get better. But you want to see signs that they are getting better. And this is the perfect week uh, uh, to be able to do that. But I think most of the, the negativity is about is this team getting better? Is it, is it you know, uh, if it's a work in progress, is there progress happening uh, in enough places? And a lot of times that focuses on the offense, you know. Are the wide receivers as a group getting better? Is Sam getting better? Uh, you know, without Ronald Jones last week, you know, is the running game getting better? Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, what about the offensive line? I think an awful lot of the focus is there. And with teams doing what they're doing, is USC figuring it out uh, well enough to to really be able to handle the stuff that people are throwing at it? And uh, and that's uh, I think that's where the negativity is. Let's uh, Rick and Moncton, uh, Maryland. He said the cardiac kids are back for all the wrong reasons. Teams know how to play USC after the first four games due to the fear of the 12 game schedule. They are not prepared to play from the opening gun. All teams will experience underperforming games once in a while, but SC has now done this three of their first four games. If they can beat Washington state, then the next two games could help them recover with with no bye game. Sam is not the same player as last year when it comes to the long ball. I hope whatever is hindering him gets better. The other teams come out on fire while USC struggles to get up uh, to game speed and execution on all points. Uh, this weekend, watching Penn State and Oklahoma take over in the end is why the cream rises to the crop, to the top. I just hope the milk is not spoiled in the refrigerator and the SC coaches keep the power off too long in practice. Ooh, Rich, uh, Rich in Maryland, not too happy, Dan. Hey, uh, Rich, uh, some pretty good, uh, a pretty good way to express, uh, you know, what you're saying. And, uh, and I can understand that. And yet, it's not just USC. I mean, Clemson was tied seven to seven with Boston College in the fourth quarter. Um, uh, Oklahoma, you know, they were struggling. Uh, Oklahoma State didn't win their struggle. Uh, so, you know, it ha- and Penn State, you know, Saquon Barkley had like the greatest game in uh, modern Big Ten history. Would he have uh, 358 all-purpose yards? And they had to win on the last play of the game against Iowa. Uh, a win or lose, uh, you know, seven-yard pass into the end zone. And uh, so uh, you can say this is we're really unhappy. I do think the fact that you've got three examples in four games now. USC's played better opponents than than the teams I just mentioned, except for Oklahoma. Uh, uh, and I guess Oklahoma and Clemson have both <coughs> played enough uh, enough tough teams. But uh, but uh, yeah, uh, you have a reason to be not not thrilled with how everything's going. And and I, I wouldn't just USC isn't thrilled with how things are going. I mean, I don't think they're kidding themselves. Uh, I mean, they get to watch those films. I would not want to be watching those films. Uh, that's got to be tough. That's got to be real tough. Um, you know, <laughs> but good points by uh, our guy in Maryland. That was, uh, those were interesting. Terry in Vegas said, Dan, I'm troubled by the coaching so far this season. I thought that Coach Helton and the staff improved. 
throughout last season and we're doing a pretty good job of coaching at the end. So I expected good coaching to continue this, this season. Unfortunately, that doesn't appear to be the case. For example, sitting the defensive starters in the last fall scrimmage, taking too long to make in-game adjustments, questionable play calling, possible insufficient tackling and practice, lack of rotating younger players into the games and lack of team identity shows a lack of coaching improvement and possibly some decrease in effectiveness uh, from the end of last year. What, uh, was it wrong to expect that based on last season's success, the coaching would be better than it has been this season? Terry and in Vegas. You know, I mean, you hit on all the issues that we talk about, and uh, it's probably easier to, you know, talk about those, you know, as general, you know, principles or general observations. And when you get down to the specifics, and let's say you go into a Cal game without Ronald Jones or you're, you're, you know, you're without Porter Gustin for the last, uh, you know, couple of games. Uh, you know, it changes things. I, mean, I don't think there's any question. Uh, uh, not having Daniel Mutterbevy, not having, uh, you know, Michael Pittman, uh, probably puts them in a place that they didn't, you know, plan to be in. And, uh, and, and, and what, what exactly is going on, you know, with Sam, uh, I, I don't think we, we absolutely know, and there's plenty of time. I mean, let's face it, last year at this point they were one and three. So, uh, you know, if you got your choice, uh, hanging in there and being good enough to, to beat people. I know people get nervous when they say, I think we're only winning because we have better players is the thing that, you know, that, that USC has to say, you know, no, we're, we're also, we're better coached. We're better, uh, disciplined. We're, physically tougher and i think on those scales that's still something that they've got to demonstrate and again what better place than to do it uh at 10 30 on the east coast two o'clock at the finish uh next week or friday in pullman of course every the whole world will be watching they will be dominating the two o'clock time slot for college football uh i guarantee you uh this weekend so maybe they'll uh they'll save it for uh <laughs> for two o'clock on the east coast and see what happens we uh so the, the you mentioned some about the well the question mentioned about some of the reserves like the younger players not playing um we talked about carol angeline at the top we thought he should be playing and he was not and now he's no longer on the team this is a voicemail question kind of along those lines hello jeremiah from snake lake i'm gonna make it quick i'm gonna make it succinct my question is for dw i'm starting to think that this damn team is the Bermuda Triangle. People go in and they don't come out. Where the hell is C.J. Pollard? Where the hell is Josh Moore Bebe? We're always talking about Jamel Cook. Sometimes they get hot, and if they don't, it's like they're living in Arizona in witness protection. I just, can you give us some insight, being them down on the ground and, you know, getting all of this stuff? I think a, a good insight was yesterday, and, and again, not to, to to pick out anybody, but you mentioned Jamel Cook. Uh, they're going seven-on-seven, seven and he has back-to-back just terrific coverage uh, situations, uh, you know, playing the man and the ball and timing and, uh, you know, perfectly uh, getting to the football uh, ahead of the receiver and two bat-downs. And then a little bit later where they go 11-on-11, uh, Jalen Green runs by, uh, Jamel like Jamel's not there. Uh, that's the kind of thing that, 
<clears throat> it makes it hard to to know you know exactly what to do. Uh, it, it does look like there's a push. You mentioned Josh and Mater Baby uh, certainly getting more attention yesterday. Uh, I know he wasn't pleased about some things uh, last week when we brought that up. He said, "Well, I'm not going to give it to him." Okay, so uh, I think you know the Bermuda Triangle thing is. Uh, I mean, a lot of times, you know, the kids kind of put themselves in that Bermuda Triangle. I think the coach's job is to to get them out of there. Uh, uh, we're seeing more uh, through on Sydney, for example. And some of those, you know, just Jody Lewis uh, got that rib injury when they're just about ready to, you know, get him get him involved. Uh, you know, and and some of the young guys, the you put them in there and and they get overwhelmed just the way the older guys do if teams are, you know, loading the box and they've got, you know, more people to block than they've got blockers. Uh, so uh, I think it might be a little early, although in Kerry Anzalon's case it's too late, uh, a little early to totally make uh, make judgments on players. But, uh, uh, you know, in terms of are they ever going to see some action or not, I think that's one of the, the things about – not going in pads is I don't think it gives the guys on the second team as much of a chance to show that they ought to get more playing time because it's not exactly football. So if you have a whole week where you don't go in pads at all, how does somebody on that second group make it up uh, in terms of making the case for himself that he should be on the field? That I think is, is one of the, the, the most negative things about not going in pads and not going real football, uh, you know, for a week is that, uh, it, it, you lose the competitiveness. There's not the same competitive feeling about, uh, about what you're doing if you're not in full pads. There's just not. And so, uh, you know, does everything stay in place? You know, I mean, maybe, you know, a wide receiver can make some spectacular plays. Uh, in seven on seven and, 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 and do some things and, but it's still not quite the same. So that's one of the reasons I think, uh, I'm always for, uh, playing it, practicing in pads, uh, not over practicing in pads, not wearing them out, not beating them up, uh, but just getting the feel of this is how it is in the game. I thought, again, the thing that translated so well for Pete Carroll's team was, the practices were like games. I mean, they were game-like. The competition, the pressure was game to perform was game-like. I think that's what the great coaches do. Uh, practice and games, it's like a seamless uh, transition between practice and game. And that's what every coach in every sport tries to figure out. How do I replicate exactly what they're going to be doing and seeing and feeling in a game in practice. If you can do that, you can coach. And that's the challenge. We have uh, some questions about the running backs. I'm going to, there's three of them. I'm just going to read them all and uh, kind of get your thoughts because they're, they're similar, Dan. So bear with me for a second. Um, so with Ronald Jones out, which running back uh, combines with Stephen Carr to give the best one-two punch? Uh, Vavai or Akasadric Ware? Uh, maybe we'll just uh, just do that one by itself. Start Mike. That's Mike and Irvine. Uh, I think you know, and different. They do different things. I think maybe Aka Cedric, if you had a short yardage situation, didn't they didn't have the right play, didn't pan out. 
But I think Alka Cedric, if you're just looking for a little bit of a slash, uh, Levi, uh, maybe a little more, uh, you know, ability to do more things. Uh, and maybe you've got more of a chance to get a, you know, a 10 yard play with Vavai than maybe with Aka Cedric. But if you need two yards, you might be better off with Aka Cedric. Uh, they're close though, size wise and, and talent wise. It, it's not like it's an obvious choice between one or the other. Um, so. Yeah. There you go. And then Earl in West LA, what the, what's the status of Ronald Jones and will his thigh contusion keep him home again for Washington State? And just to let people know, he actually, Ronald Jones did practice on Monday. Akacedric Ware was the one that didn't practice. So, yeah. Uh, so Mike's pure <laughs> question might not matter because we didn't see Akacedric Ware practice Monday. And we didn't know what, what happened with him. Uh, we didn't get a full injury report. <clears throat> and with the limitation and, you know, amount of questions and that, you can't maybe always go into every single guy and, and what's wrong with him, but he was definitely limping. But Ronald, I mean, you would not have even guessed that he had been hurt. He, he said, he told me, he said he felt just absolutely great. And he got busted a couple of times hard, even though they weren't in full pads. And, uh, he looks like he's, he's ready to go. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't, you would not, if, if you were at Monday practice, you would have no idea. He missed Saturday's game. That just, uh, so, no, no. It, it wasn't showing last week that side contusion. I mean, he wasn't limping or wasn't favoring it or anything. So it was always a little, uh, kind of a surprise to us that he didn't make the trip. But, um, um, he certainly looks like he's ready to go and, and will be full go, uh, Friday, uh, at Washington State. And the last one on the running backs from Jason. Uh, Dan, as you are generally the last to hit the panic button, your review of practice last week in the cow game is particularly concerning. Do you think that part of the offensive woes may have been related to the fact that Rojo was out? Clay's implied that Rojo is a better pass blocker and better at picking up audibles than Carr. Uh, if you watch the Texas overtime touchdown pass, Rojo picked up a blitzing Malik Jefferson, which allowed for enough time for Sam to find Deontay in the end zone. Also, Carr is very good, uh, had, had a good, game catching the football against Cal, but as expected, they in, the increased carries reduced his average yards per carry significantly. It seemed like Rojo being out could have had a bigger impact on the team's performance than people are acknowledging. I'd love to get your thoughts, though. Jason in Longhorn country. Yeah, there's no question. Having Not having Rojo is always going to impact you. Uh, uh, I thought Steven did a pretty good job considering uh, the, way the, uh, the way they were able to handle the Cal loading the box, uh, that, that made life, you know, pretty difficult. Uh, but, uh, but I, yeah, I mean, I don't think we can, you know, overplay the fact that, that Steven, you know, that Rojo wasn't there and, uh, you know, Steven was pretty much on his own, uh, you know, in terms of being the, you know, the feature back and you only need to hit one or two, uh, with Rojo and it changes the whole game. Um, and they didn't have that. So that home run, that home run hitter, you know, wasn't there. I'm not sure, you know, if he's, I think he's more familiar with the offense. So I think, uh, it's not that uh, Steven isn't really physically, uh, or athletically able to block. I think it's knowing every possible coverage that might, you know, every co- possible protection, excuse me, that might be called out. Whereas Rojo is much more up to speed, you know, with his experience, with two more years, ex- you know, experience. Than say Stephen would be and picking up every single protection. I think it's more that's more the case than uh, than 
whether uh, either one of them has the uh, you know the physical ability or the willingness to block. Tarek has one. Do you see Achille Ross returning punts? Uh, he looks great with the ball in his hands. Uh, I don't think he was out there returning them yesterday. So, uh, <clears throat> so I uh, probably not. Uh, it looks like you know they're going to go with either the sure hands Deontay or the possible home run hitter Jack Jones or the safe and sure. Uh, middle of the road, a Jenny. Now, if they can only figure out how to get a Jenny lined up properly instead of lining up 60 yards deep every time and have to come up and catch the ball in the dead run. I have no idea what's going on with that and maybe we'll try to find out. Uh, it just, it's making it hard on a Jenny. You know, he's, he's having to run as fast as the guy's covering it coming the other way because he's so deep and a lot of them are now clearly trying to bounce it and punt it away from him and make it even more difficult. So uh, uh, I'm not sure there's a good solution. I mean, you know, that's what happens when you have an Adore Jackson uh, for three years and then uh, he's doing what he's doing and then finding the next guy is uh, is not easy. But I, I don't think it's Achilles. I, I, I don't think so. Yeah, I would agree. Um, let's see. Dave in San Diego, he said, we attended the weekender after getting into Memorial and getting into Memorial Stadium was a breeze. No long security lines. What does the Coliseum, or I'm sorry, why does the Coliseum insist on having metal detectors? Getting into the Coliseum takes forever. We tend to follow the USC marching band and from campus, they leave an hour before kickoff and we routinely, routine, excuse me, routinely miss the start of the game. Airport security lines are shorter. I'd argue that the long lines and the large uh, concentrations of people they create are more dangerous than the easy flow into the stadium. I felt safer getting in without the metal detectors. If they insist on excessive screening at the Coliseum, how about a TSA pre-check type line for season ticket holders? I like that. Thanks, fight on, Dave in San Diego. You know, I think I think the unfortunate situation is for the college stadiums apparently that have NFL teams. The NFL is so demanding. It's just so ridiculous, this, uh, you know, the security. Obviously, now they're creating the place where if something terrible is going to happen, it's going to happen in that queue and that backup at the gates. I mean, it's just idiocy uh, to do it this way. Uh, but that's when the, then I think the lawyers take over, and they say, wow, if we've been forced to set up all this NFL security and we don't use it for our games, and something bad happens, we're really going to get blamed, and they're going to come after us. So even though it probably works uh, opposite what it's supposed to do, uh, this would give the uh, you know the schools an out to say, well, we did everything we could. You know, if something terrible happens, it's not our fault. Don't come after us. I think that's more the case. I mean, it would be, and you know. People would immediately, if something ever happened and you had the potential for NFL security, which probably does no good at all, uh, and you didn't have it on, they'd be raising hell and you'd be in court. And so it's just, it's unbelievably stupid, but that's the way we are today. I mean, uh, there's no, there's no question. You're right. Uh, that's a, a really good observation about getting into the stadium at Cal. Uh, you know, the decision I would make now is you're easily as or more vulnerable 
on the outside of the stadium than you would be on the inside. You, you probably, if somebody gets inside, they'll do less damage inside than they could outside at this point because of how you set a, set everything up. Uh, and if you're going to have NFL screening and then they say, well, it's so expensive and you got to build all these, you know, gates and fences and blah, 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 we can't really have as many gates open. So <clears throat> you compound the problem by having fewer gates. Uh, it's just, it's, it's madness. And yes, see, at least they say they're going to try to figure out so they don't have the, uh, problem they had at the, you know, where people trying to exit one gate that they wouldn't let anybody go out at after the Texas game. They're, they're going to try to improve that, but that's just by putting in more signs and telling you you can't go out there, I'm thinking. Uh, but, uh, uh, you wish somebody would have enough courage to say this is the best thing to do, as you say, getting people into the stadium quicker, uh, I think is much better solution than, uh, than the backups at, at security. Much better solution. But, you know, the NFL's lawyers have decided this is what they're going to do. And then USC's lawyers, I'm guessing, said, well, I guess we better too. And now you got what you got. Yeah, now you got lawyers. Um, well, two more and we'll let you go. Rex in Georgia. Uh, he said, Coach Helton said in his press conference that the key for us was going to be our receivers. However, in my opinion, the best plan would be to use the same game plan that we used against Stanford and run the ball down Washington State's throat, eat up the clock, and keep the ball away from their offense. What do you think about what Rex is saying there, Dan? Well, I mean, my guess is Washington State will say, well, we saw the Stanford film too, <laughs> and we're going to line up eight or nine guys on the line of scrimmage, and we're going to just send them through like Cal did and like uh, Texas did, and we're going to depend on USC not to take advantage of that. And maybe USC figuring that they don't have receivers that can get enough separation and they don't have a tight end they can throw to. So they maybe can't take as much advantage of it. So it would be nice if, if, if uh, Washington State stayed in the same defense that Stanford played. Because Stanford believes we're big enough, strong enough, disciplined enough, tough enough. We can run that defense and you won't be good enough to block it. And they guessed wrong. USC was good enough to block Stanford in the Stanford defense. Nobody else is going to do the Stanford defense, uh, unfortunately, for USC. And uh, so it would be great to be able to line up and just run the ball down their throat. They Maybe USC is good enough to do that, uh, but if they've got, you know, three more guys coming at you on the line of scrimmage and you have blockers, and you run slow developing plays, it's hard. Uh, now, you know, there may be, uh, you know, they go to something a little different, USC. Uh, that would be, uh, you know, just no slow developing outside zone runs, I wouldn't think. Uh, and, and get a hat on, in order to run the ball down people's throats, you gotta get a hat on the defenders. And when you had a guy like Devontae Downs who had 14 tackles in that game, and many times coming through untouched, hit the ball carrier before he, you know, had, had contact with the blocker, that's something's wrong with your scheme and your play calling uh, if you put your guys in situations like that. I mean, that's just not right. Uh, so I agree with you. If they can run it down their throat, that's absolutely the best way to go. Keep the ball. Don't let Washington State have it. Get them, uh, you know, get them playing from behind. Try to get them to pop the ball up on offense so you, you know, uh, and pick it off. 
And that was, you know, that was how, you know, Pete seems that it was how, you know, what's what saved him. I mean, this is, the scary thing is they got six turnovers Saturday against Cal and scored only 30 points. Six turnovers out of your route. You get six turnovers, you had to score a whole lot more than 30 points. Uh, and so, again, the offense has got to figure some things out and turn six turnovers into way more than 40 points or 30 points. Yeah, six, six turnovers, you didn't even cover the spread. Um, <laughs> one last one, Kevin, which I, I picked USC to not cover the spread, so I wasn't too happy. But, I mean, I wasn't unhappy. Kevin and North Tustin, do you uh, and Dan recall – uh, when Bryce Butler couldn't see the field under Lane Kiffin. Now he's in his fourth year in the NFL and had a huge night for Dallas. Hope that's not a situation we write about six or seven years from now with Kerry Angeline. Just saying, Kevin and North Tustin. You know what, Kevin? I hope it is. I, I'm, I'm rooting for Kerry Angeline, to be honest. I would like, I was rooting for Bryce Butler, too. <clears throat> you know, I mean, and the funny thing about it is putting Bryce and Kerry together. The thing that, Lane Kiffin always wanted Bryce is he wanted him to play bigger. He wanted him to, you know, and, and Bryce was Bryce and he's still Bryce and he plays like Bryce. And that wasn't good enough for some pre, you know, determined, uh, idea in, in Lane's mind that this is how he has to play. And I think Bryce decided, no, I don't. And went to San Diego state and then he's hanging in there. I agree with you. I think more times you ought to just go with uh, uh, players' abilities and, and figure out how to use them to help you, which is what I wish they would have done with Kerry Angeline. Figure out what can he do well, what can he do that we don't have anybody else that can do, and let's get him on the field and let's, get, let's make this happen. And now they're not going to do that, and that's too bad. Uh, but, uh, but I'm rooting. I will give them credit. The coaches – very sincerely said they're ri- wishing for his success and that they think he's a good player and all of that. Uh, I think it, you know, much more of a reflection on them than him as to what happened. Yeah. Um, there's been lots of examples though of guys that we saw like a Jordan Cameron who you would see him catch all these touchdown passes in the summer workouts and they never really played. And he ended up making a Pro Bowl, you know, in the NFL. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of guys that just like that we saw and the people complain like, well, you said he looked really good. I'm like, well, he did. And he doesn't play at USC, but then he goes on the NFL and plays. So there's a bunch of examples uh, of that. One last thing, Dan, before we let you go. Um, let's see. Mark Emmert, uh, the president of the NCAA, released a statement I wanted to read to you. The nature of the charges brought by the federal government are deeply disturbing. We have no tolerance whatsoever for this alleged behavior. Coaches hold a unique position of trust with student-athletes and their families, and these bribery allegations, if true, suggest an extraordinary uh, and despicable breach of that trust. We learned of these charges this morning and, of course, will support the ongoing criminal federal investigation. So, like we said, the NCAA had no idea that this was going on for the last two years, so it's pretty funny. Which explains part of the problem. You know, now they're going to try to make themselves look good, try to act like, uh, you know, these were, instead of that this is something that it's coming out of the way college basketball is conducted at this point, they're going to try to make it sound like it's some aberration that, uh, you know, that, that has nothing to do <coughs> with the NCAA, uh, you know, the way they administer college basketball and, uh, and, and probably play favorites and, uh, 
are indebted to the uh, you know the the TV for the eight hundred million dollars a year they get from for the basketball tournament. It'll be interesting to see, you know, other than puffing themselves up and sounding like you know the phoniest baloney guys in the in the whole world, uh, can they figure out anything uh, to really do to make this happen? I mean, the summer basketball stuff, the AAU basketball stuff, is out of control, and uh, you know. I don't know what what's the answer. Is the answer uh, you eventually have to start saying, you know, instead of having agents pay these kids off, maybe uh, maybe uh, you know you figure out a way to you know for the sports that bring in money like football and basket men's basketball, you figure out a way to pay these kids as if it's a uh, it's it's a, a a job that they have while they're in school. Uh, and I know everybody, oh, just the scholarship alone. I think that that's obviously not getting the job done. You know, if it, if you know, and, and we're not talking in the USC case, from what we can tell, you're not talking about very much money. So, uh, you know, if that makes the difference for a kid and his family, um, maybe they need to think a little bit harder instead of just saying no, 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 we're not going to do any of this. Uh, maybe you you need to to think about that. And again, a statement by Mark Emmert. Is so not worth the you know the, <laughs> the, the paper I... <laughs> it's not printed on anymore. I mean it's just it's embarrassingly uh, uh, of no value, uh, and he knows it. Uh, the Pac-12 has also made a, a similar statement with Larry Scott, and uh, you know so what they don't they don't know what they're doing. They don't do anything you know fairly. Uh, they don't do enough stuff smartly, uh, and and you know they they say, well, let's pass another rule. Oh, and then another rule, and another rule, and then another rule, and we'll let some people get away with it, and some people we won't. And you know, the famous Jerry Tarkanian line, he said, um, he said, uh, I just saw Kentucky did. They're so unhappy with what Kentucky just did in basketball. They're going to give Cleveland State another two years of, uh, you know, probation. Uh, and I don't think there's any question that they're beholden to, uh, you know, the big, big programs because they draw the, the most eyes on college basketball. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's probably not going to change, but, uh, they, somebody smart's got to figure out some things, uh, because, this doesn't make any sense. What happened at USC with uh, Coach Bland absolutely makes no sense at all. Uh, and I, I'd love to be able to figure out, you know, something that, that addresses whatever was going on, which is just seems mind-bogglingly stupid uh, for anybody involved in that to have taken those kinds of chances for that kind of money. Uh, it, it, it truly doesn't make any sense. And the NCAA is not going to help you figure it out, and the Pac-12 is not going to help. And can you imagine, well, let's turn to the Pac-12 and the NCAA for help here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's where we're going. Those are the first people. That's like letting the NFL figure out how to get people into the stadium. Yeah. You know, I mean, we we do not have a lot of problem solvers in, this, in these areas uh, at this point in time. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, great stuff, man. We went pretty long, and we got we got to go over to practice in a little bit. So, uh, yeah. Um, thanks for uh, coming on again. Good stuff. I enjoyed it. Uh, yep. Yeah. As we say, always something happening at USC. 
Yeah, we're going to move up our timeline. So we're going to have, because uh, Keely's going to be traveling on Thursday, we're going to do our uh, Facebook Live event on Wednesday around noon, and they'll do their uh, their um, Family Feud podcast to be tomorrow. So and I'll, I'll probably, probably put up a Washington State preview podcast on Thursday. So a little shake up to our lineup this week. So just stay tuned for that. But that's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.